Good to see you all here this morning. Everybody's looking good. By the way, are there any first-time visitors here? If you're a first-time visitor, lift your hand high. First-time visitors. First-time, yes, great. Wonderful. We got some first-time visitor packets coming to you. They're being passed down your row. It's just some basic information, a brochure that tells you about our church, a free CD for your listening enjoyment, and there's a little first-time visitor card in there. If you could just fill that out before the end of the service and leave it with one of the ushers at the door, uh, that would be great. Thanks so much for being here today. And good to see everybody here today in the house of the Lord. I'm excited about Thanksgiving. Are you? I'm excited because I'm actually going to eat. It's been 38 days today. And uh, tomorrow I start grubbing. Can I get a witness? Amen. But God's doing a wonderful thing. I, I did this fast to join... Uh, Christian Lee, Pastor Christian Lee in Seoul, Korea, was fasting and praying for his father. And today, while we're gathered here, he flew to Philadelphia. This is the 40th day of his fast. He flew to Philadelphia to share the gospel with his father and to ask for his blessing. His father's an atheist, but he's fasting. He fasted 40 days, and he's believing God to save his father. So I told him, I'm going to join you. He told me on the second day of his fast. So from the third day on, I joined him. And uh, my wife joined for a part of the time. And, of course, we were praying for things here as well. But it was an act of solidarity. And, and uh, many of you joined in when you heard we were fasting. And many on his end joined in, of course, as well when, when they heard that, that he was fasting. And so it's a very, very powerful thing. And, uh, but at the same time, there's no condemnation if you haven't fasted because those who stay with the equipment receive the same as those who go into battle. So some of us went into battle and others of us stayed with the equipment, but we all share the spoils. Amen. And I want to say that there's a very powerful thing that we've been doing for the last week and a few days. We have prayer meetings every morning from 7 to 8 a.m. and every night from 10 to 11 p.m. Every morning from 7 to 8 a.m. Every night from 10 to 11 p.m. Say, how can I join those prayer meetings? Very easily. From the comfort of your own home, Go to www.livehope.us backslash media. Just go to the media page of Living Hope's website, and the prayer meeting will start playing. It'll just automatically start, and you'll be able to just tune right in there. Or you could go to ustream.com and put in the search engine Israelite, I-S-R-A-E-L-I-G-H-T, and look for Living Hope Live as the name of the channel, and you can join in that way. Or look at somebody's Facebook page. There's People are always putting up links to it on their Facebook page. So you can join. But the prayer meetings, as well as we stream these services here, Thursday nights and Sunday mornings through that, through that service as well. And uh, so you can join in. And we've had anywhere between 15 and 50 people join in these prayer meetings online. Powerful way to start the day is with prayer. And the powerful way to end the day is with prayer. And uh, so we'll, we'll talk more about that. This morning in this particular service, I'm giving you the third installment in a four-part series on the kingdom of God. You say, now wait a minute, I haven't missed a service. I haven't heard the first or second installment. Well, let me tell you why. Because last night I preached at the Ark in Berkeley, and I gave them installment number one. This morning, 9 a.m., I gave installment number two. Right now, I'm giving you installment number three, and next Saturday night at the Ark, I'm going to give installment number four, four-part series on the kingdom of God. Now, all four of these, sets, these messages will be on the Living Hope website and on the Ark website. I see some Arkers here this morning. There are Arkers among you, Living Hope. And you know what I love is every Saturday night, there's a few Living Hopers that show up at the Ark in Berkeley. It's really, really cool. Uh, a great partnership between these two churches, and so... I see Mama Vera Speed is here, one of the founding leaders of the Ark and, and has been a covering to them for many years and done a marvelous, marvelous work. Whenever Mama Vera comes, I want you to just embrace her and love on her and, and uh, welcome her because she's traveling all around and ministering, and, uh, and, but she needs a family that just covers her and blesses her and loves on her. And so just love on her and whenever you see her, uh, wonderful woman of God. We're talking about the kingdom of God, and it's an extremely important subject. The kingdom of God is an extremely important subject, and it's a subject that transcends the subject of the church. The church is not the kingdom. You can be in the church and not be in the kingdom. But you can't be in the kingdom and not be in the church. You can go to church for years and never enter into the kingdom of God. 
Because Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can go to church and not be born again. One of my earliest evangelistic experiences was preaching a revival in, in Vancouver, Canada at a Presbyterian church. And the first night I preached the gospel and gave the invitation for people to accept Christ. And two people came to the altar. One was the youth pastor and the other was the elder. <laughs> the youth pastor was the guy that brought me there. And the elder had been an elder for 20 years at the church. He was, and the joy of salvation came over him so much so that he took us all out to dinner afterwards. He was so excited. He said, I've never heard the gospel preached like that before. Didn't know I needed to actually accept Jesus. <laughs> I thought going to church was enough. Going to church doesn't make you a believer any more than going to Taco Bell makes you a Mexican. Going to the taco truck, that's a different story. Get you some authentic stuff, it starts to change your DNA a little bit. Give me a good burrito, I start going, arroz con gandules. Cinco de mayo. You can be in the church and not be in the kingdom. The kingdom is bigger than the church. But the church is the primary expression of the kingdom in the earth. Now, Jesus, the primary burden of his preaching was not the church. He only said a few things about the church. He said, upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But he said a whole lot about the kingdom. You look at all of his parables, and what does he say? The kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a man who found a pearl of great price in a field. And when he found it, he hid it again and went out and sold all he had, and in his joy came back and bought that field. It costs you all you have to enter into it. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds, but when it grows, it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It starts off small, but becomes great. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. But whenever Jesus uses the term like, it means that he is describing the kingdom, but not defining it. He says, let me tell you what it's like. Let me describe it for you. Let me give you some analogies so that, to help you understand it. Let me give you some parables. Let me give you some metaphors. Let me give you some similes. Let me give you some things that help you understand what it's like, but I haven't yet told you what it is. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, the kingdom of heaven is an invisible reality, not a visible reality. It's an unshakable reality, not a shakable reality. The things that are seen are temporary, and so the kingdom of God is not something that's seen. The greatest travesty in church history is that we have tried to take the kingdom of God and absorb it into seen phenomena, like some agenda, some political agenda. People think the kingdom of God is the Occupy movement. People think the kingdom of God is in educational reform. The kingdom of God is in health care reform. The kingdom of God is, is some anti-gay or pro-gay uh, uh, political agenda. The kingdom of God is anti-abortion. The kingdom of God is, is some, some ill in society that we fight. And it doesn't mean that any of those things are wrong. They're just not the kingdom. We'll do a lot of things that are not wrong, but don't equate them with the kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation so that anyone can say, here it is, or there it is, for the kingdom of God is within you. And when he said within you, he used the word entos, which means among you. It's in your midst. It's not a visible phenomenon. So you say, it's this. It's this agenda. We've got to push this agenda because this is the kingdom of God. It's not even absorbed into the work of the church. We can do wonderful work, but that's not necessarily the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is more than that. It's greater than that. At the end of the day, it's an invisible reality and it's extremely hard to define, and it's interesting that even Jesus doesn't define it in his ministry. He never says, this is the kingdom of God, but Paul does. And Paul gives us two passages of Scripture in which he clearly defines the kingdom of God in four components. And this, this is why this is a four-part series, because I'm breaking down each of those four components so that we understand what the kingdom of God is in order to understand what the kingdom of God is not. The first passage of Scripture is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. Paul says the kingdom of God is not a matter of word, but of power. First of all, the kingdom of God is power. It's power. 
You can do some great things. You can transform educational systems. But until you manifest the power of God, that's not the kingdom. You can tutor all the kids in the school across the street and all of them getting straight A's. But until the power of God manifests, that's not the kingdom. You can build orphanages. But without the power of God, you have something far less than the kingdom. The kingdom of God, Paul says, is not a matter of word, but of power. It is God's divine power. I focused on that last night at the ark. That message is going on the website this afternoon, and so you can download it and listen to it and get it in your spirit because I believe that it will bless you. Then Romans fourteen seventeen, Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but, component number two, righteousness, component number three, peace, and component number four, joy in the Holy Spirit, and all of them coming from the Holy Spirit including power. The kingdom of God is the power of the Holy Spirit, the righteousness that comes through the Spirit, the peace that comes through the Spirit, and the joy that comes through the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is power, righteousness, peace, and joy. That's what the kingdom of God is. So you can do great and mighty works, but if you're not walking in power, it ain't the kingdom. Great and mighty good deeds help old ladies across the street, but if there's no righteousness, it's not the kingdom. All kinds of stuff, but you go to, you know, you might do all kind of great ministry and then go to bed at night and you're riddled with anxiety. It's not the kingdom. Great work. You could build humongous buildings in a church of 10,000 people, but you ain't got no joy. It's not the kingdom. At the end of the day, the kingdom is manifested not in the quantity of our works, but in the quality of our existence. So that people should be able to look at our life and see power and righteousness and peace and joy and say something is different about you. You know, there's a lot of people that don't know Jesus that are doing incredible things. And so we can't do incredible things and think that's the kingdom. The world's doing it better than we are. We have a little Bible college with 500 students. We think that's the kingdom. UC Berkeley has 25,000. You even look at the temple in Israel, the lavish temple that Solomon built. It was a little piddly thing compared to the ziggurats in Babylon. And that's why the scripture says God doesn't dwell in a temple made with hands. That was a representation of his presence, not the manifestation of it. You see, the kingdom of God is righteousness. We talked about that in first service this morning. Get the, get the message. And what we said about righteousness is that, first of all, righteousness flows out of power. Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, My message and my preaching to you were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. He said, when I came to you, I came not with persuasive words of human wisdom. I demonstrated the power of the Holy Spirit among you. Why? Because I wanted your faith to rest in the power of God, not in the wisdom of man. If you believe because I'm persuasive, we're in trouble because you're dependent on me. But if you believe because you encountered the power of God, now you're established in the truth. Because you're going to go home and depend on God's power, not on my ability to articulate things. And so Paul says power leads to faith. And then in Genesis 15, 6, it says, Abraham believed God, faith, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed, and God said, you're righteous. So power leads to righteousness. That's why it's first power and second righteousness. And righteousness is a manifestation of faith. That means you are walking in righteousness if you are walking in faith. If you're walking in unbelief and doubt, I don't care how good your deeds are, it ain't righteousness. Righteousness leads to peace. Look at this, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Okay, I'm not going to find it here, but what it says is, oh, there it is. Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore having been justified, meaning made righteous, the word justified, dikaios, means to be declared righteous, dikaiosune. Justified and righteous are the same Greek word, the same root. So to be justified by faith means to be declared righteous by faith. It means you believed and God said you're righteous. 
Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's why it goes from righteousness to peace. It goes from power to righteousness. And then having been justified by faith, now we have peace with God. We have peace with God. Now that word peace in the English language and in popular usage is a psychological term. It has to do with your emotional state. You, peace is simply the absence of anxiety. But that doesn't really do it for this verse, does it? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we are free from anxiety in relation to God. Peace in the Hebrew language and culture is not a psychological phenomenon. It's a theological phenomenon. It only comes from God. You see, when we think of peace, we think of the absence of conflict. If I could just get the anxiety-causing stuff out of my life, I'll have some peace. Peace in relation to God... Peace in Scripture, and especially in the Old Testament, has nothing to do with what's happening in your life. It's a God-given gift. Having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. Watch this. The word peace in the Hebrew is the word shalom. Shalom. In the Greek, it's erenes, but it's a translation of the Hebrew term shalom. He's literally saying we have shalom with God. Having been justified by faith, we have shalom with God. And so the kingdom of God is manifested when we walk in shalom. Look at your neighbor and say shalom. Shalom. It's the ancient Hebrew greeting. You greet each other. And in Hebrew culture, the ancients greeted each other with the word shalom. It was a blessing, a blessing of peace. But it means many things in the Old Testament. In Genesis 43, 28, it means health. Not just the absence of conflict, it means health. It says, your servant, our father, the brothers of Joseph, they go to Egypt and he asks, is my father still alive? And they respond, your servant, our father, is in good shalom. He's in good health. He's still alive. It means health. When someone wishes you shalom, it means health. When it says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, it means we have health with God. And it's a holistic concept of health. We think of health as something bodily. Health in Scripture is body, soul, and spirit. And then there's real spiritual people that try to take the body out of it and say, no, it's just spiritual health. No, you can't break up the human person like that. God's not just concerned about your spirit, but he wants your body to just go to hell and wither away and rot away. Shalom is holistic. It's body, soul, and spirit. 2 Samuel 18, 29, it's safety. David is talking to Joab and he says, Is the young man Absalom shalom? Is he safe? The young man, is he safe? Is he safe? Having been justified by faith, we now have safety with God. Meaning he ain't going to kill us no more. (laughs) Because we're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are protected from the wrath of God. The wrath of God isn't going to take us out anymore, so we don't have to walk around worrying about God killing us. He already did that to His Son. He should have killed you, but Jesus got in the way of it. So having been justified by faith, we have safety with God. And not only do we have safety from God, but that is, from God Himself, But we are safe from everything. We're protected and shielded through faith. We are shielded and protected from everything. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm giving you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the devil, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. You have safety because of righteousness. The kingdom of God is safety. You remember when Paul was on the island of Malta and he reached his hand to get some wood and a viper bit him, latched on, and he took it and shook it into the fire and went on about his business. And everybody said, oh, this guy must be a murderer. They thought He thought he escaped, but God wouldn't let him escape. He's about to die any minute. And they're sitting there waiting for him to kill over. And after he didn't die for several hours, he should have been dead in a few minutes, they said, no, nah, man, he ain't a murderer. I think he's a god. You know what they saw? They saw the kingdom of God flow through supernatural safety. When the kingdom of God manifests when something should have took you out, but God protects you, and people see it. Even people who don't believe God are able to see it and say, that was God. Now, you should have been messed up, 
I remember when I, was at, uh, I first started driving, I was probably 18, 19 years old, and I had this old jacked-up Chevrolet Cavalier, 1989 Chevrolet Cavalier. It was blue, and the paint was all rigged and coming off. And, and I remember I had a problem with the radiator. I didn't know nothing about cars. And so what I would do, it would, it would overheat, you know. I'd pull on the side of the road, and it would be smoking, so I'd open it up. And I kept, like, gallons of water, and I would just pour water over it, try to cool it down, which I found out you can destroy your vehicle doing that, but I didn't know. And then what I would do, one time I thought, you know what I need to do is open the radiator and pour some water in. So it, it overheats, smoke's going everywhere. I pull into a gas station, I run in, I buy a big jug of, of coolant, and I buy a big bottle of water, I'm going to mix them, you know. So I go outside, do to do to do to do to do to do open up the hood, boom. And as soon as I opened that thing, the pressure underneath it, that thing flew up. I mean, it flew right past my face. And all of this boiling liquid flies up all over my face, all over my body, all over my clothes. And it felt like cool water. I didn't get burned. No burns. It didn't even feel hot. It just felt like cool water. The guy runs out. And he goes, are you okay? I turn I said, huh? And I'm just, you know, soaked in this stuff. I said, huh? And he goes... You're not burned? I said, no, should I be? <laughs> he goes, dude, don't you see the water? I mean, do you think cold water shoots up like that? He goes, you're not burned? He's checking me for burns. I said, no, I'm cool, man, I'm cool. He goes, that was God. That was God. That was God right there. Having been justified by faith, we have safety with God. Safety is a manifestation of the kingdom of God. And that's why you're not supposed to be afraid. Because you're being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last days. That's why fear of danger puts you in the place of opposition against God's kingdom. Because His kingdom manifests when you have peace. Anxiety opposes the kingdom of God because you're not believing that God is keeping you safe. Anxiety is the belief that you are dependent upon your own power to keep yourself safe instead of believing that the kingdom of God is here. Paul walks on the island, he gets bit by a viper and he just shakes it off in the fire and you don't see him freaking out. Listen, oh, Lord, was it poisonous? I was bit. Jesus Christ, I was bit. We would have been calling doctor, calling 911 and, you know, having people suck out the poison and put, putting mercuricone on it. You remember mercuricone? My grandmother... She treated everything with blessed oil. <laughs> my, mother said, my mother said their dog got attacked by uh, some kind of wild animal and it, it ripped open the dog's stomach and its, its entrails were hanging out. My mother said, we got to go to the vet. My, mama said, my grandmother said, we ain't got no vet money. Bring me that dog. And they brought the dog in. She stuffed the guts in there, poured blessed oil over it. <laughs> And bandaged him up, sent him out, and the dog fully recovered. <laughs> I'm telling you, ghetto Christians walk in power sometimes. <laughs> Woo! You don't know what, what miracles you miss when you got money. <laughs> Mercy, mercy. Shalom is tranquility. Psalm chapter 4, verse 8. David says, I will lie down in peace and sleep. Insomnia is an affront to the kingdom of God. I can't sleep. I'm just too troubled to sleep. No, 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 no. David says, I will lie down in peace and sleep. I pray every night over the people of God that you would sleep. It's one of my primary prayers, that you'd sleep in peace. You don't realize that the kingdom of God manifests when you sleep in peace. 
You say, well, I can't sleep. Why? Because I'm in the middle of a storm. Yes, but Jesus in the middle of a storm goes down into the hole of the ship and goes to sleep. And it said he went to sleep on a cushion. The kingdom of God manifests when you can be in the midst of the worst storm and lay down in a comfortable place and go to sleep. Had a friend of mine, he said he woke up one night, his bed was shaking. He said, this is weird. The rest of the house isn't shaking. It's not an earthquake. He said he looked up at the foot of the bed and he saw Satan. He said, I kid you not, I saw Satan shaking my bed. And he said, I looked up and I looked at him and I said, oh, it's just you. And I laid down and went back to sleep. Yeah, back up off my grill. You know, he'll fight with you if you'll fight him. You can spend a lot of time fighting, hoping for victory. When you already got it. When you recognize you already got it, you'll stop fighting. Because you recognize that he promises his people sleep. He promises peace. He promises shalom to his people. Shalom is tranquility. In Psalm 35, 27, shalom is prosperity. Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. It's shalom. It's peace not only to your mind and your heart, not only to your physical body, but to your finances. So I don't want to be a prosperity preacher. You know what? Let's do this. Let's go through the Bible and rip the word prosperity out of it. That way we'll be sure to stay away from the prosperity gospel. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't subscribe to the prosperity gospel. But I do know that God promises prosperity to his people. We can't just tear that out of the Bible and think it just because somebody took it too far and took it in the wrong direction. God wants to bless you and bring you into a place of financial peace, not to make you a lover of money, but as an expression of his kingdom. There's the kingdom of God. When the rest of the world is an economic recession, but the people of God have peace. It's the way in which he makes a distinction between his people and the people of Egypt. Remember, he put the Israelites in Goshen. And when he sent the plague of darkness, there was light in Goshen. When he sent the plague of, of hail on the rest of Egypt, there was no hail in Goshen. When, whenever, whatever plague he sent, he made a distinction between his people and the rest of Egypt. He said the rest of Egypt's in turmoil, but there ain't no recession in Goshen. I don't worry about my finances. Why? Because he takes pleasure in the prosperity of his, of his servants. He's going to prosper me. Come on, somebody. It's friendship. Psalm 41.9. David says, even my own shalom friend in whom I trusted. It's translated familiar friend. Close friend in the NIV. Even my own close friend. He says, my shalom friend. My friend of peace. My friend of shalom. The one with whom I have shalom and peace and tranquility and safety and all of this. He says, even my shalom friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, he has lifted up his heel against me. It's friendship. Which means that having shalom with God extends to one another too. You can't say you have shalom with God, but you can't get along with nobody else. <laughs> Come on, somebody. I love the Lord, but I'm having trouble with Him over there. You ever tell somebody, Jesus loves you, and I'm trying. <laughs> I'm working on it, but He's still working on me. John says, he who says he loves God but hates his brother is a liar. And the truth is not in him. He's telling lies. He ain't doing nothing but lying. He's walking in deception. The truth is not in him. You say, all right, well, I'll try to get along with him. What you don't realize is getting along with him is an expression of the kingdom of God. Not just you getting along. It's not just about the lovey-dovey, wishy-washy, love of... No, 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 no. The scripture says when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God manifests when you and I should be in conflict, but we have peace. When you and I should be at each other's throats, but instead we have peace. That's the kingdom of God. When people can look at your life and say, why is it that people hate you first, but then all of a sudden they love you? Why is it that people can't resist you? Why is it that people just want to be at peace with you? That's the kingdom of God that flows through your life. 
Man, that is good. I need to increase his love offering. It's freedom from offense. This is a good one. Peace with God gives you freedom from offense. Man, we need this, don't we? Because some of us are offended every 15 minutes. I'm offended by the way she looked at me. I'm offended by the way she didn't look at me. I'm offended by what she said to me, and I'm offended that she didn't say nothing to me. (laughs) Psalm 119, 165, Great shalom have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Nothing. When I have shalom, nothing causes me to stumble. I can look over it. The scripture says there's two a man's glory to look over a fence. What you don't realize is that when you look over an offense, it's not just a nice thing to do. It's not just a loving thing to do. It's an expression of the kingdom of God. That's one of the most powerful things about my spiritual father. Stuff that gets me incensed. How can they treat you like that? And he just looks and smiles. He says, son. No, son. We're supposed to love them. When God gives you the supernatural power to overcome offense with love, to love anyway, when Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for those who hate you, bless those who despitefully use you, this is the kingdom of God. You say, I'm not offended. I know some of us got a spirit of road rage. We're offended if somebody cuts us off on the freeway. You know, that's something I'm working on. I'm, trying, I'm just making a confession. The Lord is still rooting that out of my life. Because if you're on the road, now this is the thing that gets me the worst. If you're wrong, but you're mad at me. Somebody nearly cuts me off and gets me in an accident and then gives me the finger. That makes me want to get out of the car and start so, what's up? <laughs> I'm getting sanctified from that one. You know what? That's an obstacle to the kingdom of God because I'm harboring an offense. And why do I harbor offense? I'm offended when something makes me feel smaller. I can't be offended if it didn't make me feel smaller. But when the kingdom of God flows through me, nothing makes me feel smaller. You can't diminish me and make me smaller when I have been seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, far above all power and principality and dominion and might and every name. You know when you when you you know when the kingdom of heaven is at hand when believers live beyond offense. That's the kingdom of God. We're thinking about programs. Well, let's do this program. Let's get this ministry going. Let's get this off the ground. Let's do this ministry. Let's do this outreach. Some program. The kingdom of God does not consist in a program. How about getting past the fence? It's also freedom from conflict. When the peace of the kingdom comes... God lifts you up beyond the attacks of the enemy. Psalm 147.14 says He makes peace in your borders and fills you with the finest wheat. You know, the thing is, you can't prosper until God stops the enemy from attacking you. When you go into a season where you're under constant attack from the enemy, you don't have time to prosper nothing. You're just trying to stand your ground and, 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 you know, fight off the attacks of the enemy. But when God gives peace to your borders... The scripture said that at a certain point in David's reign, he had peace on every side. And when you have peace on every side, now all of a sudden you can take what God's given you and prosper it. You can increase it. You can develop it. Why? Because you're not worrying about some attack coming to devour your finances and devour your family and devour your circumstances, devour this and devour... The the devourer comes to devour everything of worth in your life. But when he gives peace to your borders, suddenly he gives you the, the context within which you may prosper. The kingdom of God is manifest when you see that no enemy can attack you. And it says in, in Psalm 91:14, he says, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. And then he says in verse 15, I will set him on high because he has known my name. That concept of being set on high, it means out of reach. Now there's some things in the cabinet that are out of reach for my wife. She says, this is too high. Then she says, Benjamin, will you come over and get this for me? Because it's high. When God puts you on high, he puts you out of the reach of the devil. He treats the devil like a midget and sets you right. And the devil's just jumping. 
I'm going to get you. And, and he looks menacing like he's going to get you. But he just, and the, here's the problem. When you start believing that he can touch you, what you do by unbelief is bring yourself right down into the place where he can touch you. When you just start believing, no, no, God has set me on high because I, I know his name. He set me out of the reach of the devil. Oh, yeah, that's just the devil reaching for me. That's just the devil re- How does he reach for you? He sends thoughts your way. And as soon as you embrace it and say, oh, I shouldn't have thought that, now you're in trouble. But when you reject, that's not mine. <laughs> devil, nice try. Get that out of here. I'm not even going to entertain that. You shouldn't even stop to repent of it. Because when you repent of it, you're embracing it as yours. Now you're really going to battle it because you believe you got it. Mm. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 2. Shalom is long life. For length of days and long life and shalom they will add to you. Length of days and long life are the same thing, aren't they? Then it's a triplet. Length of days, long life, and shalom are the same thing in this passage of Scripture. Long life. Too many believers are walking around in the expectation of imminent death. And I mean, seriously, like, it's so easy to think you're actually going to die. You just believe it. I think I'm going to die. I think I'm going to die. I know the Lord. And believers are saying, the Lord showed me that I'm going to die. Now, (laughs) you know, if you've ever, if you've ever had a very important staff member, like say you were running a company and a very, very important, well-connected staff member came to you and said, I'm leaving, I'm going away. You don't allow him to share it with anybody until two weeks before he's leaving. You don't share it six months before you're leaving. Why? Because then people are going to grieve for six months. No, you give them two weeks to grieve and then they're up out of there. The Lord's not going to tell you six months or six years before you die, you're going to die next year. You're going to spend the next year grieving over your death. Listen to me. If something told you you're going to die, it's definitely not the Lord. Because by the way, He holds life and death in in His hands, and when He does take you, He's not going to tell you. It's none of your business. Let me just set you free right now. If you think you're going to die, you're not. That's a clear sign that you're not. Because the Lord doesn't go around telling people, you're going to die, saith the Lord. (laughs) When the Lord speaks, he says, you will live and not die. You will live and not die. You will live and not die. No sickness has any authority over your body. You will live and not die. And that is what we get from being justified through faith in Jesus Christ. We have shalom with God. And shalom means I will live and not die. Shalom extends to my physical body. It extends to my family. It extends to my finances. It extends to every aspect of my life. And my physical health is not just a natural manifestation of my faith in Christ. It is a manifestation of the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus demonstrated the power of the kingdom by healing the sick. That's how he preached peace to those who were near and those who were far. He manifested the shalom of the kingdom by healing the sick. I told you about the time I had a cavity, the first cavity I had in my life, and my wife saw it in my mouth and laughed at me. Big black spot on my tooth. I was brushing my teeth with almost a whole tube of toothpaste that night for about 45 minutes. I had two two toothbrushes. She's laughing at me. She says, that's not going to work. You should, have been, you should have been doing that for the last several months. <laughs> the next day, we're coming home late the next night, and in the car, I thought about my tooth. And you know, when you've never had a cavity before, when you get one, it's a terrible thing. It's torment. All night long that night, I was dreaming about my teeth rotting and falling out of my mouth. I had no teeth, just gum. You know? That night, and I preached all day that day. That night I'm driving home, and my wife and I are in the car, and I just remembered my tooth, and this terror just struck. I could feel it in my body. This anxiety manifested in my body. Felt it in my chest. And I said, oh, Lord, I got a cavity. And then all of a sudden the terror left, and it was overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord. I felt the presence of the Lord come, and I felt the presence of the Lord localized in my face. 
said, oh, snap, this feels like healing. I hadn't asked for it. See, there's some stuff you don't ask for because you just don't believe for. I had the Lord heal a contact lens once when it tore, and I didn't have money to buy a new one. The Lord spoke to me and said, I'm holding it, it's torn. The Lord said, put it in your eye. I said, Lord, you tripping. Put it in my eye, and it was completely whole. I took it out again, and it was completely whole. The Lord does crazy stuff, man. But watch this. I feel. I said, Lord, this feels like healing. Lord, if you want to heal my cavity, go for what you know. Do your thing. And all of a sudden, I just felt this warmth in my mouth. I knew I was healed. I got home, ran in the house, looked in the mirror. Black mark was gone. I said, hey, hey, hey baby, come here. Tell me where that black mark was on my tooth. She said, open your mouth. I opened my mouth, and she couldn't find it anywhere. She said, what happened? I told her. She said, I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes. You know what that is? A nice thing to do? No, it's the kingdom of God. It is a manifestation of the shalom of God, the supernatural health of God. One last thing, Isaiah 9, 7. Shalom is uncontested authority. Shalom is uncontested authority. Of the increase of his government and shalom, there will be no end. The thing we don't understand is that shalom is a military word. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in all things through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which we think is peace, it's just the absence of conflict, the nice peace of God. When people use peace, I just want peace. Let's just make sure I don't want to offend anybody. I just want peace. The peace of God will guard your heart and mind. Now, I've never seen a wimpy guard. Well, never mind. I've seen a wimpy guard before. You ever been to a bank and the security guard is like 97 years old? It doesn't make you feel very safe. And he doesn't even have a weapon. He's got a flashlight. Sonny, put that money down. <laughs> what are you going to do? Now, when God sets a guard at the door of your heart, he's not setting some wimpy pushover punk. The peace of God, it does away with chaos, conflict, and confusion, but don't get it twisted. The peace of God will take you out. You remember Jehu? Remember how he brought about peace? He killed a whole bunch of people. Remember they said, do you come in peace? He was on his way to Jezebel's house. And she sent out messengers. Do you come in peace? And he says, as long as the whoredoms, harlotry, and idolatry, and witchcraft of Jezebel continue, how can there be peace? Get in line. I'm about to make peace right now. Throw her down. Throw her down. He, she was shanking people right and left and said, here's peace. Now we got peace. You know what? The peace of God will kill some stuff in your life. God will establish his peace through violence if he needs to. He will come and start shanking devils and lies and powers of deception. He will shank every power of confusion and chaos. He will put to death every power of discouragement and fear. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard. Peace of God standing at your heart. Anxiety and fear comes and goes, what's up? You ain't getting in here. This is not your house. You better get up out. You better go back. The peace of God will guard. Now, from the inside out, you see nothing but peace. But on the outside, the peace of God is a gangster. I'm talking about God's gangster peace. God is nine millimeter. You ever notice in those gangster movies, those gangsters never have glasses? Think God's blessed gangsters with 20-20 vision? <laughs> That's why they hit bystanders in drive-by shootings. <laughs> I'm going somewhere.
When we preach the gospel, what do we preach? We preach the gospel of shalom. Romans 10, 15. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of shalom. That's what I love about the testimony that the team just shared. What they brought was the shalom of God. Where there was chaos and hatred and backbiting and fear, the pastor says, you taught me how to love. All of a sudden, there's peace. The children are weeping because you brought us the gospel of peace. Listen, you should not simply be walking in peace. First of all, you should be walking in peace, but secondly, you should be manifesting the peace of God. You should be releasing the peace of God. That is the kingdom of God. And that's why Jesus says, whenever you enter a house, if the man of the house is worthy, let your peace rest there. Just release your peace. That means you have peace to give. Jesus said to his disciples, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you, but as the Father gives. I'm giving you peace. I I give it to you as a gift. As a gift of the Holy Spirit, like speaking in tongues, like healing. What gift do you have? I got the gift of peace. Let me show you, I'm going to manifest the gift of peace. Who's got anxiety? I just release peace into your life right now in the name of Jesus. And you go home and say, well, I didn't, I didn't, wow, I slept all night long. That's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not be moved. That's the kingdom. That, and if you look at that psalm, it's a militant, it's a kingdom song. He says, he talks about the nations are in an uproar. Even if the mountains crumble and fall into the midst of the sea and the oceans roar, he's talking about chaos and conflict everywhere. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her even at the break of dawn. And then he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That's why we have peace, because our God reigns. We have peace because no matter what comes or goes, our God reigns. We will not be afraid. We will not have anxiety or fear, because our God reigns. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. That's why Paul sets up all kinds of rules for the gifts of the Spirit in the churches because he saw that the power of the Spirit was being used in a way that created chaos and confusion. And you cannot use the power of the Spirit in a way that takes away the peace of the Spirit. You're bringing God into opposition to Himself. God is a God of peace, not of confusion. He's not the author of confusion. Satan is the author of confusion. And I love it says he's the author because if he were to write a book, it would be called Confusion. And there's some of, some of you here today, you are his epistle. <laughs> Written not with, on tables of stone, but on your heart. But Paul says to the, the, the Corinthian church, you are our epistle. Written not on tables of stone, but on tables of human hearts. God is the author of peace. And that means that if he were to write a book, it would be called peace. It would be called shalom. And many of you here today, you are his epistle. Some of you are going to get converted today. You came in as an epistle of Satan and you're going to walk out as an epistle of God. Because what you don't realize is anxiety and fear are an affront to the kingdom of God. But I got good news for you. God promises peace to his people. And that means that this is not to lay a heavy burden on you and say stop being afraid by your own power or stop having anxiety and fear by your own power. It means that if you put your trust and faith and hope in God, he will give you peace and he'll give you peace today. That's why peace comes out of righteousness because righteousness is faith. And you can't get it unless you come to faith. And if you're struggling with faith, get the message from 9 a.m. You need that. This is good, isn't it? I'll end with this, Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. I'm going to end with thanksgiving. Isn't it appropriate that we end with thanksgiving? Because that's what we're entering into this week is a season of thanksgiving. And it shouldn't be the only season of thanksgiving, but it should be a season of heightened thanksgiving. He says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called. You want to talk about your calling? Your calling is not first and foremost to feed the poor, 
to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to set at liberty those who are bound, you are called to peace. You're called to shalom. Shalom is your calling. And until you walk fully in that calling, you'll never walk fully in any other calling. Don't talk to me about preaching to multitudes until you begin to walk in shalom. Don't talk to me about the gift of healing until you begin to walk in the gift of shalom. Because all healing is is an outflow of the shalom of the Lord. You were called to shalom. You're called to it, and that means that there's a supernatural empowerment of the Spirit for you to possess it and for you to walk in it. And it says, and be thankful. Thankfulness is the ultimate optimism because thankfulness presupposes a completed work. Whenever you thank God for anything, you're presupposing that is done. And that's why one of the most powerful ways of demonstrating your faith to God is thanking Him for the things that seem undone in the natural. You're still struggling financially? Thank Him for financial breakthrough. And what manifests through that faith is peace. Suddenly the peace of God begins to rule. And I love that word rule. It's a kingdom word. The peace of God rules in your heart. Earlier he says, let the word of God dwell. The peace of God doesn't dwell, it rules. When the peace of God comes, it takes charge. You've got to surrender to the peace of God and let it rule in your heart. And you do that by being thankful. This week, we're going to be walking great thankfulness. And because we're going to walk in great thankfulness, we're going to walk in great peace. Amen? Let's bow our heads this morning. Let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all the day long. And the one the Lord loves will rest between his shoulders. Peace brings rest. Many of you, you came in here today and your soul is in chaos. Your thoughts are like monkeys in a banana tree. Your soul is moving all over the place. You're like a wave tossed by the wind. You're confused. You don't feel like you know where to go or what to do. You feel like you're trapped and stuck. You feel like something has to happen and there's a spirit of desperation on you. But right now the peace of God is going to begin to rule in your heart. And it's going to begin to take authority over every power of the devil that opposes it. Because the rule of His peace is the expression of His kingdom. You become an expression and manifestation of the kingdom of God as God brings you out of bondage. David said when Israel came out of Egypt, the people of Jacob, out of the people of a strange tongue, Israel became God's sanctuary. Judah became His dominion. Today God wants to bring you out of the Egypt of anxiety and fear. He wants to bring some of you here just feel so unsafe. You feel like you live in a dangerous place. You live in a precarious place. You feel so uncovered and unprotected. But God says today I'm bringing you out of the Egypt of anxiety and fear. And you're going to become my sanctuary. You're going to become my dominion because my peace is going to rule in your heart. It's happening right now. In the name of Jesus, and in the name of Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I break the back of every power of anxiety and fear. In Jesus' name. And I replace it with the peace of God that passes all understanding. It passes all understanding because it don't make no sense. It doesn't make any sense for people to look at your life and say, how do you have peace in the midst of this storm? Nobody can walk in the peace that you walk in and say, yes, but my God can. It's the peace of God. It's not my peace. It's God's peace. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but as the Father gives. Jesus says to you today, as he said to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't allow your hearts. Don't allow it. Take authority over your hearts. The kingdom reign of God is coming to give you authority over your heart. Don't let your hearts be troubled. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. But in the meantime, he says, my peace I give you. You may not have the physical presence of Jesus, but you have his peace through the Holy Spirit. You have his peace. That's a gift that he gives you and he doesn't take away. It's not a circumstantial gift that changes when you go through a trial. In fact, it intensifies. It gets stronger in trial. When you begin to learn how to tap into the peace of God, you'll find that the worst trial, you have the deepest peace. Jesus is asleep on the boat. And he says to the disciples, why don't you have any faith? What he means is if you had faith, you'd have righteousness. And if you have righteousness, you'd have peace. If you don't have peace, it always goes back to a lack of faith. But if you've got faith, you've got peace. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, it's going to reign in your hearts and minds. I speak blessing today. And I declare that that power of anxiety and fear is broken from your life right now. In the name of Jesus. And I declare that you're going to sleep in peace. And it's going to affect your physical body because when you're walking in anxiety and fear and you don't feel safe, your physical body begins to carry the weight of that. Some of you, you got pain in your back, you got pain in your neck, you got pain in your legs, and it's because you don't have peace. And you go to the doctor and they can't find the root of it and they can't cure it and they can't take it away, it's because you don't have peace. But as the peace of God begins to reign in your heart, the wholeness of God is going to begin to reign in your body. And you're going to find that your body is going to release all of that anxiety. And right now, in the name of Jesus, I just, I command that trauma. I rebuke that trauma from your body right now in the name of Jesus. I rebuke it. I command your body to release it. Some of you, I'm talking right to you. I want you to come to this altar and I'm going to lay my hands on you. And that's going to break from off of your body right now. Just come stand here real quick. It's going to break off of your body right now in the name of Jesus. You've been carrying that trauma, that anxiety, that fear in your body. Your body's been carrying it. It's breaking off of you right now. In the name of Jesus, I command it to break. In the name of Jesus, I command it to break right now. In Jesus' name, I rebuke that trauma that you've been carrying since your childhood. It's breaking off of your body right now. And the peace of God is reigning in your heart right now. And you have peace. Because you have freedom in Christ right now. From this day forward, I break it off of your body right now. I command it to leave. It's manifesting in the power of God right now. It's broken off of your body. And you have wholeness in your body right now. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I command the peace of God to manifest in your physical body right now. In the name of Jesus, I command the peace of God to manifest in your physical body right now. In Jesus' name, I rebuke that trauma from your body. I rebuke it from your body in Jesus' name. I rebuke that trauma from your body right now. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. I rebuke that trauma from your body right now. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. I release the peace of God. I release the peace of God. I release the peace of God into your body, into your physical body. In the name of Jesus, I release the peace of God into your physical body. In Jesus' name, I release the peace of God. In Jesus' name, you will walk in peace. You will sleep in peace. It's broken right now. This power of eczema is broken from over your body right now. You are completely healed. I command it to leave. I command it to leave your body. When you wake up tomorrow morning, your skin is going to be completely clean. It's going to be completely clean. You're going to be completely well. And you're going to believe it. And you're going to walk in faith and believe it. In the name of Jesus. Everybody stand and just begin to glorify the Lord right now. Father, we believe it. We believe it. We believe it. We believe it. Come on, just begin to declare it. We believe it. We believe it. We believe it. We thank you for it, Father. We thank you for it, Father. This is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God. It is God's right to rule. It is God's right to rule. Hallelujah. 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 The Lord our God. The Lord our God. The Lord God Almighty reigns. He reigns. He reigns. He reigns. A fire goes before Him and consumes His enemies on every side. Hallelujah. Glory to the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. You feel that welling up on the inside of you, don't you? 
You know what you're feeling welling up on the inside of you? It is the kingdom of God. It's within you. It's within you. It is the kingdom of God that comes to set you free from every power of bondage, that comes to bring you out of every Egypt, that comes to set you into the promised land. That is the kingdom of God. That power, that power that rises up on the inside of you and says you cannot have any bondage. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, give God a shout of praise. Yes. Power, righteousness, and peace. Next Saturday night, joy. Joy. Being joyful is not just about being happy. Most believers feel guilty when they're happy. I'm supposed to be mourning or grieving for something. That's irreverent, sacrilegious. But the scripture says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy is an expression of the kingdom of God. We're going to lay that down on Saturday night at the ark. You can get that recording after we're done. You can show up if you want to, but no pressure. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving.